This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the On Call Empath. I'm really excited for this uh, next guest here. I've been trying to get him on this uh, podcast for the last couple months, and uh, I'm so honored that he chose to come to the On-Call Empath and share his story with the world. He has uh, actually uh, shook up the internet and uh, influencing a lot of people out there that might be facing adversity. He talks about uh, three brain surgeries, being in debt, you know, dealing with suicide, and a lot of other challenges that uh, he faced in life. And um, it affected me personally. And hopefully, anybody that's listening to this uh, episode, uh, I really hope you get some value out of it. Um, I definitely did. So with that said, let's go ahead and get started. You're listening to the On Call Empath Show. Welcome, guys, to another episode of the On Call Empath. I've been waiting for this uh, episode for almost uh, a month now, and it's finally happening. I'm so excited to uh, have my next guest, Kwan Glover. He is a survivor of three brain surgeries. Um, opioid addiction has been in $1 million worth of debt. He's now a writer, public speaker, self-published author. He has a new book, uh, that's out right now, how stroke struggle and surgery helped me find my life purpose. You guys want to tune into this one? K1, how are you doing today? I'm great. And if I was doing any better, there'd be two of me. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you're here. I know I've I caught you on a couple Facebook Lives, and uh, I enjoy those uh, episodes that you do to kind of give back and help inspire others. Um, you've been all over social media, and uh, you're starting to catch on, and I'm, it's just an honor to have you on, on my personal podcast. It really means a lot, so thanks for being here today. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you, Roger, and you know, to your audience, I say you know, there are things that are going to seem dark and uncertain, but I'm here to shed light on those dark moments. And hopefully our conversation will inspire you to change and be get out of victimhood and be the ultimate victor in your story. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because, you know, this this uh, whole podcast is about insp- inspiration and having people like you on here. Um, hopefully it it reaches out to others who might be going through the similar Uh, similar things from tragic uh, events or, you know, anxiety, depression, suicide, you know, all that stuff that's going on in the world today. Um, It's really tough for many people out there. So I'm glad you're here. So let's dive right in and just, you know, if you can tell me a little about your incredible story in your own words. Yeah, so it all began in 2014. I had a, I was trouble speaking talking, writing, and uh, my mentor, Brent Simpson, his wife sent me to a doctor. That doctor sent me to a hospital, and they told me, hey, you have something in your brain that's not supposed to be there. 
I was like, okay. And at the time when this was happening in, in 2014, I was 20 years old. So I was just like, okay, fix it. And then that hospital sent me to another hospital, which they did an MRI. And they discovered something called a cavernous malformation, which is a group group of blood vessels that sit um, in your brain and kind of take up space. And they called it the cavernous malformation. And I was just like, again, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm 20 years old. I want to get back to school. So fix it. So they actually sent me back home to monitor, and then the symptoms got worse. So I came back and had my first brain surgery on August 15th, 2014. And being the young, wow. gracious, energetic 20-year-old that I, did, I was, I went back to school within a week after the surgery, and then a month after returning to school, I had my first stroke on September 18th, 2014. And that is the first chapter of my story. <laughs> that is amazing. I... I can't even imagine what brain surgery feels like, like when, like, how did you, I mean, the way you're talking right now, it's like, let's back up here. Like, what was the first thing that went to your mind when they found something? What were you thinking? Maybe, you know, what am I going to do in the future? Why me? Like all these, these emotions, did you have rage? Did you have numbness? Like what was going through your mind when you found out the diagnosis? Um, you know, like I said, you know, I want to reemphasize that I was 20 years old. So when they told me, I was like, uh, I don't know what that means. I want to live my <laughs> life. So if you guys can just fix this so I can move on, that'd be great. So at the time, right. I wasn't able to grasp the concept of, hey, there's something on your brain. You should probably mm -hmm. not do a lot of the stuff you're doing right now. So again, I wasn't, I was oblivious to what it actually meant. And at that young age, you're just thinking about living your own individual life. So, again, I didn't have any real emotional attachment to it until I had the stroke, which, you know, opens up a whole nother can of worms. Right. So so you, you had the surgery. Um, after the surgery, you were just kind of like, what happened then? Were you, were you on your feet, like physically? Were you able to do a few things or were you kind of limited in, in what you could do physically? Uh, you know, I had to be careful. My body was moving a little bit slower just because I was recovering from brain surgery, which I did not process again because I went to school a week later. So I was limited in my mobility only to the extent that I wasn't supposed to be doing vigorous activity, which I did not pay uh, attention to. And I went back to my normal college life, partying, drinking, whatever, wow. you name it. And uh, as a result, I had a stroke a month later. So see wow. how good, how much good that did me. Wow. So you had your first surgery, you went right back to school a week later, and then a month later you had another stroke, and then you had your second surgery. Um, at this point, were you, what was going through your mind after the second one? So I actually, I had my first surgery in August. I went back to school, had the stroke, and then I didn't have another surgery until the next year. So in that time, you know, I faced the bouts of depression because I just didn't know how my body was supposed to operate. I had been an athlete my whole life. I'd box, I run track, I played football, and now I was not able to do those things. And, you know, as a man, you pride yourself in your physical abilities in most cases. So right. when you're no longer able to do that, my reality was conflicting with my life expectations. So I was just mm -hmm. like, this is impossible. One of the mm -hmm. things that were the biggest game changers for me or starting to change my young mind was in rehab. Before we leave, we have an outing. So as a as a group, we go out into the community and one of the tasks we're assigned is to handle money. So we were in a gift shop in D.C. 
and there was a guy in my cohort that was a person in front of me and I was standing third in line and the guy was having trouble handling this transaction, handling money. And the person in front of me just let out this uh, like growl of frustration <laughs> and she I guess that person felt inconvenienced by you know him taking too long with the transaction. And then I started mm-hmm. to think that night was I that person that viewed other people as inconveniences, it's other people as not human as the other because they had disabilities, quote unquote. And then I had to first start to realize that you don't know everyone's story, you don't know everyone's journey, you don't know right. what they're through, and you have to look at people with a little bit of empathy to actually step into their shoulder their shoes <laughs> what they're going through. So that was the first big change for me. And then I didn't have my second surgery until October of 2015. Um, and it was a little devastating because I had been getting brain scans and checkups and my doctor just came in, I think it was probably like my fourth one. And he said, uh, I don't know what to tell you, but the mass is growing mm-hmm. bigger and faster and you're gonna have to operate again. So here we go again. Wow. You know, just the way you're talking, you seem very upbeat. I've, I've, I've watched you on uh, social media and how you've influenced a lot of people and you're catching a lot of uh, momentum there. But there was a time where you weren't always like this. I mean, you hit rock bottom. In fact, you had suicidal te- uh, ideations and uh, fell into opiate addiction. Now, I just want to switch gears here a little bit and just talk about that because right now there's a big pandemic going on, but there's a lot of people with mental health issues, uh, which our health broken health system in this country is a joke. And uh, that's another um, that's another podcast. I don't want to get into talking about that, but when it comes to suicide and, and addiction, I don't think we have enough things in place in this country to to uh, you know help someone rehab or get them out of it. You know, some. What was your experience with dealing with addiction and suicide? Like, how did you even overcome that? One of the things about addiction and suicidal ideation, suicide attempts is they can often be solved with the same solution. And that's a lot of times when people start to think suicide or fall into addiction, they are isolated from everyone else. And we look at this situation where now COVID-19 has us in the house, often isolated from our friends, family, loved ones. So it exacerbates those symptoms of being isolated, being alone, Mm -hmm. alone with your own negative thoughts, alone with your own, negative loops of, you know, the way you're thinking about yourself. So I had an interesting TED talk and a psychologist said they did an experiment on rats. And in the first experiment, they put cocaine and heroin in water and and they put another water bottle as a control group and the rat always drank the cocaine water. Yes, I... Yes. And when mm-hmm. they fill the, the cage with uh, things to do, the, the rat shows something else. So again, that's why I say it's not often the medication or, you know, these st- stringent steps of things, you know, they are, but mm-hmm. if you are able to get around people, find a community, find a virtual community, find right. things that take you out of your head and find things that bring you joy yeah. and happiness, that's often one of the first things. But also, you have to accept that, hey, I'm addicted. Hey, I'm thinking these things and tell someone because mm-hmm. if you isolate yourself, these are things we like to call invisible illnesses, or I like to call mm-hmm. them, because you can't see the 
the outside effects of what they're doing inside mm -hmm. your head to your emotions to your spirit so if you don't talk about them if you don't share your experiences that you're on a fast track to failure so i encourage those out there to your audience that are experiencing things that are feeling mental illness take hold of them get out there mm -hmm. and talk to someone you often feel like a burden or i can't share this or i'm not going to bring someone else down you have every right to do that because it's for the benefit of preserving your own life, not just because you're complaining. Yeah. You have a real dilemma that you're facing and you often need the support of more because your willpower runs out. But if you have a community of people that love you, love you and care for you, you right. have a better chance of beating the odds. Very well said. And in fact, I'm glad you brought up that TEDx talk. I, I saw it last week where they were talking about the two rats One, you know, they laced it with uh, heroin or cocaine, but then they made like a nice rack park where they had like a, like a Disneyland for, for rats. Uh, and they found out that there was regular water and cocaine water, but the rats, uh, they said, I think it was a high percentage of them that, that actually chose the regular water over the laced uh, heroin water or whatever. So that just kind of made me think like, it can be our environment. If 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 we had a supportive environment, many people wouldn't fall into the suicide trap or or uh, fall into addiction. Everyone has bad days, and I know a lot of times people will be like, "Oh, just be positive, and things will go your way." And that's I feel that's unrealistic. Um, you can't be positive all the time. If you have to be down, take time to be down. And then pick yourself up and then move on. In your case, do you still have bad days and how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's funny, Robert. I had a bad day this morning. I'm normally up <laughs> and out of the bed, you know, as the sun's coming up and getting my day started. But today I just laid in the bed for like two hours just because I wasn't getting proper rest. And that's one of my triggers. If I don't get enough rest or I don't get quality rest, my mind starts to drift off into negative thought thought um thought realms and thought loops and things like that so when i do that i am i've created a routine and like i don't make room for myself with negotiation like oh i'm not going to do that today i'm not going to do that today it's kind of like tony robbins with his skull punch regardless of what i was having and regardless of whatever's going on he always jumps in that cold water to wake him up so i have a very strict routine especially with prayer reading my uh, affirmations writing in my journal listen to scripture and you know i make that a part of my routine because my mind doesn't have time to think those negative thoughts because my body is already doing the things uh, mm -hmm. that i'm programmed to do you know oftentimes we do have those negative thoughts and again i want to go back to what you said about positivity being positive 100 percent of the time is close to the delusion like there are right. so many things in this world that can pull you off track I like to say that people should be more optimistic, but being positive, mm -hmm. it seems very, I'll be positive. That seems very dismissive. You're setting yourself for a failure. Yes. It's very dismissive when people say that, especially when they're not experiencing the thoughts or uh, feelings that you're feeling. Uh, so being optimistic, expecting a better outcome or looking for a better outcome is better than being quote unquote positive all the time. So you know, I reject that that frame of thought. I, I aim to be optimistic and I do see positive things happen, but I'm not positive, this happy, go lucky guru guy all the time. That's just, <laughs> just not realistic. Well, 
and and that's what I want to point out to all the listeners that are out there. Don't look at all the things that you see on social media where you see someone always saying, "Come on, you got to do this. I've been through this, and I'm you got to be positive and get up and stop being lazy." I don't buy that that bullshit. That that is like to me, like if somebody's like that all the time when they get on social media, that that's that makes me question because we're all human and um, we can't be hundred percent go 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 all the time and be positive and and all this. I I just don't buy that. Um, as humans, we all have good and bad days. Uh, even people that you feel that have everything in their lives, but like you know, especially like you. I mean, um, I noticed. Like when I was talking to you, you had like a million dollars in debt. Like, and for me, like I know, like that would make me feel like very unsettling, like fearful. Like, how am I going to pay this? But how do you deal with something like that? Like, how do you get your life back when you know that even if you like get better and and you start doing well, but you got that overhanging over your head, your head that you know that eventually one day you're going to have to start making some some contributions towards that. When I first saw the number, uh, I was sitting in my <laughs> bed. I just got up, I checked my, you know, I wanted to see what, what it total was going to come down to. And uh, <laughs> I did this Excel count calculations and I was like, okay. And then I looked at the number and I was like, this is not real. This is not the real number. Let me redo this. I think I missed a zero. So I, I did it again. And it was still the same number. One of the, 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 the speakers that I listened to uh, avidly is, Les Brown, and I knew this is an issue I couldn't avoid. I couldn't put off because they, they were going to be asking, calling, "Where's the money? Where's the money?" So I became a minor into a major annoyance to that company. My grandma always said, "You can't get blood out of a turnip." So I know I didn't have. <laughs> it. So I don't know where they were going to get it from. So I started calling them every single day. Mr. Glover, you just called yesterday. Nothing has changed. Yeah, I know, but I'm calling again. I'll call tomorrow. And I called, and I called, and I called, and I called. And one of the things, look up this story. I wanted to tell your audience to look up the story of Les Brown and Mr. Butterball. And every day he kept going and going and going to this guy to get a job. And he would tell him no every day until one day he went back and he gave him uh, something to do. And that I was very persistent. I was very disciplined. I was very... I monitor everything. I wrote down all the questions. That's the practical part of it. But I think the mindset is you have to person, you have to push, persevere until something happens. And something eventually did happen. It it took a while. It took a couple of weeks, but I kept calling. I kept calling. I kept calling. And then serendipity. I mean, it was serendipitous, and that all three of my doctors had met up to choose my surgeon, and because they did that, insurance took that into consideration. And they were able to knock off most of the medical costs. So I raised the GoFundMe, and I, you know I did things outside of you know outside of you know what I was already doing mm -hmm. to you know aid the cause, to offset the cost. But because I was so persistent, mm -hmm. because I continued to push, because I continued to persevere mm -hmm. through this adversity, I was able to use my the money that I raised for other medical costs. And I just want to point out, I think that was beautifully said. We have controllables, um, especially the highly sensitive people and past that are listening. Um, you know, as you can see with Kwan, he he did, his hands were tied, but he did everything in his power and worked on the controllables. He couldn't control like anything else but 
being, per, you know, just moving forward, getting getting things done. Um, and he kept calling. And especially for empaths and highly sensitive people, we get discouraged and and kind of like, you know, don't want to bother anybody and just people please. And oh, I don't I don't want to get them riled up if I keep calling every day. But you didn't do that. And, and that's what I can respect. I mean, you kept going at it despite all the the things that you faced uh, with with your surgeries and depression and anxiety. So I commend you for that. With everything that's going on, um, if you could just tell me and the listeners out there, what are like the three top things that you that you could say that helped you the most? And I'll let you pick anything you want, but just the three top things that helped you get where you are today after all the three surgeries, the debt, the depression, the anxiety, the suicide. What was the three final things that got you through this and brought you to who you are today uh yeah this this book this story is only the first part uh that was a little more more challenges mentally and physically that i had to go to uh, and that i'll be in the next book but the thing the three things that got me where i am today i gotta start with gratitude getting up every day and being grateful just to be alive for the small things it, it actually scientifically uh i learned it from a therapist it actually boosts serotonin and that's a mood stabilizer. So when turmoil arises and when adversity faces my direction, I'm able to stay calm and collected because I'm grateful for the things I do have and I don't focus on the things I don't have. The second thing was the community that people around me. You need people that are willing to go to bat with you who can really be empathic to what you're going through because a lot of people expect sympathy but it doesn't really have the same effect as empathy. And empathy is feeling with someone, sympathy is feeling for mm-hmm. someone. It's a very big difference. And the last thing I want to say, it's just my never ending. I was, I'm naturally disciplined and I'm, natu- I'm naturally determined. So my focus, my, uh, my why, I have a sister that's 14 years younger. That's my third reason. She's 14 mm-hmm. years younger. And if I quit, it will give her reasons to quit and things that are hard in her life. So gratitude, the community of people, loved ones, friends, family, acquaintances, whoever surround me, and my sister, really my big three that got me to where I am today. And as of August 22nd, 2020, I can say I officially, I wrote that in my journal, I feel whole again. And I, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Wow. that <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that because... I mean, most people, I mean, in their lifetime won't even face a fraction of what you went through. But that's not to say to minimize anybody's pain and suffering. I want my listeners to know that learn from this podcast, this episode, that, you know, being around your tribe members, being around the right people, not everybody's going to get what a highly sensitive person or empath is. That's why we have to be very selective of who we let in. Not once have I heard him say anything about being a victim, life isn't fair, that not once on this podcast. And and that that says a lot about you, Kwan. And I just want to point that out, that a lot of d- people that have been through a lot say they blame it on um, their external circumstances and things like that. And granted, things bad things happen to everybody, but it's how you you react and respond to it, correct? I mean, you could have went crazy. You could have went... You could have just ended your life, but you didn't, right? I mean, you you basically said, screw it. I'm going to 
I'm going to keep going forward and show everybody and make a bad situation into a amazing situation so I, you can help other people. And that's what you're doing right now with your book and everything. So I definitely commend you for that. Before we, we take off here, I do want to ask you if you can leave one thing with our audience today um, for somebody that might have gone through similar or maybe not feeling the best in life, what is one thing that you can kind of leave us with a uh, word of wisdom, uh, especially coming from you? I think it would mean a lot. Uh, I'll give you two things. One is something practical. Uh, it's a grounding technique. And, you know, every day at a certain time, three times a day, I close my eyes and I say, what can I hear? What can I feel? What can I smell? What can I taste? What can I see? Of course, my eyes are closed. So I see the back of my eyelids. But that is a t- technique that roots you in the present moment. Often when you think about the past, it leads to depression. When you think about the future, it leads you to anxiety. So once you root yourself in the present moment, you're able to see what life really is. And the word of wisdom I'll leave you guys with is times right now seem dark and uncertain, and you're not sure what happens next. You're not sure where to go. You're not sure who your real friends are. You're not sure who really cares about you in, in, in this time and this pandemic and this political turmoil. But I want to let you know, that my job is to bridge the darkness, the br- make the bridge between darkness and the light and the tunnel. I've been through the muck, I've been through the turmoil, I've been face to face with adversity, and I survived. But that doesn't mean just because I had this traumatic story that your story is any different. Everybody's story is different, and everybody's built for the fight, the men to fight. So I want to tell you this. The darkest night always comes before the brightest morning, and your morning is coming. I'm here to give you a message, to get you out of victimhood, to be a victor in your life, to be a hero of your own journey. Remember, nighttime comes, but the sun must always rise. Wow. I'm just like goosebumped, and I'm like, that's amazing. Like, Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, it's been a true honor for you to be here on my show. Before we take off, can you just tell us where we can find you on social media and, and the name of your book? Yeah, so on Facebook, you can find me at overcome, uh, facebook.com slash overcome adversity with Kawan. On Instagram, Kawan Glover, K-A-W-A-N-G-L-O-V-E-R. Twitter, Kawan underscore Glover. On LinkedIn, Kawan Glover. So just Google Kawan Glover and I'm bound to pop up. Uh, the name of my book is Favor, How Stroke, Struggle, and Surgery Helped Me Find My Life's Purpose. It's available on ebook and Kindle, uh, ebook and paperback format on Amazon.com. I'll send Roger all the links for everything just in case he wants to put them in the show notes. So I'm open for whoever comes. You don't have to tell me your name. Just use the number, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. You guys hear it. I mean, this guy, I, I saw him on his driveway selling his books. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no excuse. <laughs> I mean, you've been through so much. You're selling your books in front of your house. And I hope you do well. I'll definitely look into getting a copy myself. You're an inspiration to many. And I hope, you know, you touch a lot of lives and inspire as many people as possible. And, you know, and I wish you the best. And I'll be in contact with you sh- uh, for sure in the future for maybe some more collabs and having you on a panel when I... Uh, when I start to get uh, more more guests on my show. Absolutely. It's an honor and pleasure to be here. I'm grateful for your life and I love you all. 
There you go. There you have it. Thanks so much, guys, for uh, you know tuning into this episode. And uh, always, if you can leave a review on Apple iTunes, it helps me out and bring more people like A1 on the show. And with that said, we are out. You're listening to the On Call Impact.